used deliberately to polarize population. It is important to acknowledge the fact that the changing trajectory of Rama's public image caught many in India unawares, while a politically motivated utilization of the popular god facilitated the birth and growth of a different Rama in the populist imagination. Today, I struggle to attain a closure on memories of being Rama during the demolition of Babi Masjid in 1992 and subsequent riots, the Bombay blasts in 1993, and the pogrom of Gujarat in 2002. Encountering the televised version of Rama. Doordarshan, the Indian state-run television, started airing Ramayan in a serial form on January 1987. It went on till August 1989. It had changed the perception on Rama for Indians forever. This was produced by Ramanand Sagar, a popular film director from Bollywood. With this began a phase where religious partnership, partisanship, sorry, was no longer a taboo. Lord Rama became the symbol of political campaign whereby under the disguise of culture, strong fundamentalist codes were being put in, put in place. The serial had record popularity and was viewed by a large section of Indian population where families sat together as almost a ritual and the viewing was almost a collectively observed weekly ritual. The serial was mentioned to be a dharmic or a religious one by the Hindi press while most times it was mentioned as a mythological soap opera in English. The huge amount of time allotted to the melodramatic acting, dances, songs, music, and choreographed war, marriage, festival sequences, and the association of Rama and text with numerous varieties of indigenous performance traditions had already ensured a confirmation of the preconceived expectation of a theatrical operatic presentation. Arvind Raj Gopal talks about many of his informants talking about the viewing of this serial as darshan by the family members who may have thought they were sitting together to reclaim an epic history and culture. He says, darshan, literally sight, is what one partakes of when uh, one sees a deity or someone of exalted status. The word connotes a more a physical sense of space than its English language equivalent. The deity gives darshan and the devotee takes darshan. One is touched by darshan and seeks it as a form of contact with the deity. This practice of imagining the presence of the god while seeing a performance is not new. In many of the Indian ritual traditions, the appearance of gods within one other human beings uh, is woven into the matrix of trance and ritualistic behaviors. Seeing performers as manifestations is also normalized within many ritual performative genres. This utilization of the images of the actors who performed Rama and Sita in the serial became a common practice and were taken advantage of by the increasingly saccharinized electoral politics. In the meanwhile, during the same time, the Ram Janmabhumi, the birthplace of Rama movement, achieved a phenomenal growth as the as uh, the Hindu leaders utilized Lord Rama and the and the serial to establish the images of the ideal devotee, the ideal woman, and the ideal warrior, also alongside with the ideal militant Hindu. 
It was a mega performance spread over 78 episodes, ensuring a continuous viewership over a, uh, over a prolonged period of time, with viewers becoming familiar with characters from the serial over the long time and starting to identify and remember smallest of details about the character. In the process, images of Lord Rama became part of the stored memory, which was all pervasive. Thus, the Rama, thus this Rama had a certain pan-Indian identity for the first time. It could be identified. He could be identified anywhere. The secular liberals and the leftists were caught unawares as they never had understood the power of the serial and underestimated the strength of the newly formed language of Hindu rhetoric perpetrated through the serial. Smaller local performances of Ramayana, which mostly were part of living traditions of many communities, had been popular much before the serial. And serial was aired and had no Hindu correlated agenda or intention. As is discussed in great detail by Raja Gopal, who says the plan and airing of Ramayana as the unprecedented event in which a Hindu epic serialized on the state-run television system and the astuteness of BJP, which was eventually able to perceive the opportunity presented in the serial's enormous success. He says, drawing on myth and devotionalism to portray a golden age of tradition that was yet ahead of the modern era in stagecraft and warfare, the show was, which ran so long, uh, made appeals to diverse social groups under a symbolic rubric that could be tied to the banner of Hindu assertion. If inhibition and prohibition earlier joined to limit religion's use for systematic political mobilization, what was offered now was an extra charge in being together previously, uh, bringing together previously separated realms. The affinity of these spheres, that, is, uh, that in their different ways envisioned the good society, appeared stronger at a time when poli uh, politics itself seemed corrupt and exhausted, and the objectionable character of much religious uh, tradition. The demand for demolition of Babri Masjid, Ram Janmabhumi, or and, and the, and the uh, appeal of Ram Janmabhumi, that is claiming the birthplace of Rama, coming in the wake of escalating Hindu-Muslim tensions through the 80s, appeared as a serious attempt to relegate Muslims to the position of a disenfranchised and embattled minority. There was a steady increase in the yearly toll of lives taken in anti-Muslim riots through the mid-80s. This was itself dwarfed by the unprecedented spate of riots in the wake of Ram Janmabhumi movement itself, in which the masjid was broken in a very theatrical, televised, hyper-visibilized um, manner. Um, in this context, I want to flag perform uh, one performance. There were small changes happening in our performance. One particular performance that is important to describe uh, which the ominous warning, warnings of fanaticism was held in Murshidabad in Bengal following the Babri Masjid demolition on 6th of December 1992 and subsequent riots. The performance went well, but as soon as it concluded with the celebratory Ram Bhajan at the end of 
of the performance, the stage was occupied by hundreds of young men dressed in saffron bhutis, with tridents and swords in hand, shouting praises around. Barely out of their teens, most of these boys were young school dropouts who have been mobilized by a Hindu social service organization, which is very popular for its social work amongst um, you know, economically marginal people. Um, the threatening movements and the loud proclamation of being ready to die to uphold the sanctity of Hindu religion caught all of us unawares. In a region where most of the audience were workers in local factories, that, that it, it should have struck an alarm about the masculinity and militancy that was being infused in the lives of young and impressionable youth, but the show went on. It didn't stop. It wasn't thought as dangerous as yet. We were waiting for something else. Although I packed away the Rama costume in last time in 2006, memories of having been Rama remains a difficult and painful reality for me to confront. Was I complicit in the violence perpetrated in the name of Rama because I did not protest it vocally or performatively? During the final scene of Sita Swambara, many members of the audience literally actually came for blessings, touched Rama's feet, and on some occasions asked him to touch and bless a sick child placed at his feet. The uneasiness remains till date regarding the potency of the mixture of faith and perception that consolidated through the viewing of Rama in the minds of numerous audience members. And there would always be an unanswered question in my mind, what if the child was not taken to a doctor? Perhaps I have no other option to continue to probe subterranean layers of this reality, uh, complicating the artistic memories of performing Maya, Ma Rama with the political unease of being Rama. Uh, so I would like to show you a bit of um, the film. Yeah, I'm 
बाबरी मस्जिद का निर्माण अयोध्या में सन 1528 में हुआ उसके तकरीबन 50 साल बाद तुलसीदास ने रामचरित मानस लिखकर राम कथा को आम लोगों तक पहुंचाया 19वीं सदी तक अयोध्या नगरी राम मंदिरों से भर गई इनमें से कई मंदिरों का यह दावा रहा कि राम यही जन्मे हैं इस समय तक अंग्रेजों के पैर भारत में जम चुके थे पर वे हिंदू मुस्लिम भाईचारे से अपना तख्ता पलट जाने का खतरा महसूस करते थे शायद इसीलिए अंग्रेज इस अफवाह को हवा देने लगे कि मुगल शहनशाह बाबर ने बाबरी मस्जिद का निर्माण राम जन्मभूमि मंदिर को तोड़ कर किया था आपसी तनाव के बावजूद हिंदू मस्जिद के प्रांगण में राम चबूतरे पर पूजा करते रहे जबकि मुसलमान मस्जिद के अंदर नमाज पढ़ते रहे इस समझौते का अंत उन्नीस में हुआ जब कुछ हिंदुओं ने मस्जिद के अंदर घुस बैठकर राम मूर्तियां रख दी डिस्ट्रिक्ट मजिस्ट्रेट के के नैयर ने दंगा फसाद की आशंका जाहिर करते हुए मूर्तियों को वहां से हटाने से इनकार कर दिया बाद में वे जनसंघ में शामिल हो गए और संसद सदस्य भी बने मस्जिद को सील बंद कर मामला कोर्ट में दर्ज कर दिया गया कोर्ट में पुजारी नियुक्त किए और हिंदू मस्जिद के बाहर से पूजा करने लगे आज I mean, while uh, while they were building up to the place where they could actually storm into the masjid ground and uh, break the whole structure, and with kind of tacit support of the police. But of course, there is you will see that there was an effort to stop the rioting by and. Uh, the police actually is, uh, you will see the police at work, but it didn't work at all. पहचानना मुश्किल है कल क्या होगा सर ये होगा कि हमारी मौत होगी 
good morning. Um, well, first of all, thank you. you know, for the invitation, it's great to be here among this amazing and very, very interesting uh, group of uh, academics, uh, intellectuals. And um, what, uh, when I was invited to come over, I was really uh, in doubt of what I should speak about. And I had two cases that I think both would really be interesting to uh, refer to here. The first one, was the history of Palestine something that I deal with you know, every day in, 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 at the university? I teach a course on history of contemporary, modern contemporary Palestine. Uh, however, I did end up uh, choosing to speak about Islamophobia since I believe it relates to a larger you know, context. Although the case of Palestine is really a very clear case of cultural trauma uh, and also a laboratory for much of what we are seeing in other places. It has been going on for more than 100 years, you know, the uprooting, upheaval, expulsion, uh, um, the, the, the theft of memory, not only goods, lands, and so on. So uh, I did end up choosing to speak about uh, Islamophobia, and then the question is, okay, but from what angle, from what case? And then I decided to choose a very polemical uh, case, which was that of the Muhammad cartoons uh, that began in, in Denmark. Uh, and my objective here is to uh, try to, to reach, uh, to, to use this to speak about the, the rise of the radical right. Uh, it's just about everywhere. Uh, because I do believe that Islamophobia is really uh, instrumental in, in, this, uh, in this tendency, this worldwide uh, current tendency that we're still, still trying to decipher. Uh, so, the Muhammad cartoon polemic began the controversy, the whole thing began when in 2005 the Shilans newspaper in Denmark, a large conservative, you know, rather right wing uh, lectionary newspaper, uh, ordered 14 local uh, cartoonist uh, images you know, of how they thought the face of Muhammad would be. Why? Because uh, just shortly before, uh, a local writer couldn't find someone who, who, who would. Um, uh, accept illustrating his uh, book for children on the life of Muhammad. Now, what people don't really know is that this author of this book for children, he was himself a person with a, a very a history of um, Islamophobia, you know, a very, very controversial history of Islamophobia himself. But anyway, he couldn't find anyone to illustrate. I think most of you probably know that in the Islamic transit tradition, it is not really very much, it's not at all accepted. To, 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 to uh, picture the face uh, of the image of Muhammad. Uh, there are many stories about this, like there was a film made at the beginning of the history of a, a film in Egypt, in which an actor accepted to act the role, to, to, to play the role of Muhammad, well, he never got any job again in his whole life. Uh, other films managed to film the life of Muhammad without showing the actor in the place of Muhammad, so that they wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be offensive to, to tradition. Some images in Islam do show Muhammad, and, and you can find some examples in 15th, 14th century uh, imagery, but uh, however, it's not really accepted. So this uh, newspaper uh, called for these images, and this is what they came up with. Uh, this is what the page looked like the day it was published on 30th September 2005. They had 14 pictures, 14 images, of which uh, probably the most problematic one was that one. Now, why was that so, you know, controversial, problematic, and so on? Uh, I don't know if you'd agree with me, but once uh, the, the cartoonist pictures a man, 
with an angry face with a turban and a bomb in it about to explode and the shahada, that is, you know, the inscription of the, uh, the, the, the Islamic uh, census that says, you know, that really characterized their identity, there is no God but God and Muhammad is the, the messenger of God. Uh, that is a way of kind of saying that, okay, every Muslim is potentially a terrorist. And that's how Muslims in general felt the cartoon. Now, does that mean that they immediately began demonstrations, etc., etc.? No. The whole thing really took months to, to build up. What happened was, uh, after that, uh, Arab governments did ask for a meeting with the editors, uh, sorry, with the foreign minister uh, of, of, the, of uh, Denmark, and the foreign minister of Denmark refused the meeting saying that if they had any you know, problem, they should take the problem to court. That was not an issue for them. Uh, and the whole thing began to you know, build up, and, and, and all the talk about it was kind of like, um, okay, Denmark has among its values freedom of expression, and if Muslims cannot accept the cartoons, it's because they do not share our common values of freedom of expression. This is another cartoon. Now, you know, some people can easily laugh at that. I can easily laugh at that if you like. Stop, we have run out of virgins. However, we should also be able to analyze this and see how that the trope of the masculinity linked to perverted sexuality, which is linked to terrorism, it's all put together there. So, uh, and then one of the cartoons was really outstanding and it was different from the rest. It did not rep reproduce the Orientalist, stigmatizing, um, you know, exotic or angry Muslim, but showed this image. And this was the cartoon by Baraj Rafin, and he, he drew a schoolboy called Muhammad from grade 7a, as you can see there. He has his tongue sticking out, as if he were, you know, uh, teasing or after a prank or something. And uh, on his t-shirt, he has the name of a football team in Denmark, which is uh, called the, the, the well, that's why I said where I need my glasses. <laughs> I don't know if you can see there, yeah, the Fram. But the football team is Fram, which means forward. However, he continued and he put dash Tiden, which makes the word mean future. And there the schoolboy is pointing to uh, the board where it says, not in Arabic, but in Farsi, um, the editors of the Zealand's Posted are a bunch of provocateurs. So I'd like to show an interview with Lars uh, Rafen. Uh, here, I guess I have to click on the Chrome down here. Yeah, we tried it out right here. There. So I'd like to show you a very quick explanation in his own words about his cartoon. So we're in Copenhagen with Lars Rafen who is a cartoonist, and um, Lars, I have a question for you. It has to do with your the strategy that you used with, uh, with the Mahomet cartoon that you, that you drew in 2005. Could you tell us about it? Sure. 
yours. So there, you know, not one of them really had that impression from the whole idea behind the, the editors when they ordered the, the cartoons. Didn't see it as a simple case. Some newspapers uh, really discussed, you know, what was the problem. So here the Herald Tribune. Uh, drew a published uh, a, a cartoon which just shows a cartoonist um, apparently not realizing that his images did um, bother and were you know badly received by a whole and, and, and touched actually the whole of uh, of, of uh, moderate Muslims and people who had nothing to do with terrorism which was apparently what they would be you know aiming at so how uh, the implications were a lot larger, but the cartoonists did not realize that. Uh, now, among so many uh, analysis that you know, are available about this whole affair, there's one very interesting one by uh, Mahmoud Mamdani, as some of you are acquainted to him, uh, in which he says, look, uh, the, the point that is being missed here is that it's not a case of freedom of expression, it's not a case of blasphemy, but it's a case of bigotry. Because blasphemy is when you criticize religion from within, and bigotry, on the contrary, is criticizing from outside. And more than that, while blasphemy could be kind of seen as like speaking truth to power or you know to institutionalize religion, uh, for bigotry is actually uh, framing a minority for target practice. So this is what we're talking about with these cartoons. Would be uh, his uh, point of view. And in fact, I mean, you have some cartoons, not the ones, the original ones here, because these cartoons were then published and republished and published and went on and on, and more cartoons came out, and uh, this, is, this is one of them, in which uh, here you have uh, apparently a Muhammad sitting with the editors, and then the editors saying, well, frankly, Mr. Muhammad, a few Danish cartoons are the least of your image problems. Uh, which would be, and then attributing to Muhammad and the fall of Islam, problems such as terrorism, theocratic tyranny, subjugation of women, intolerance of criticism, persecution of moderate Muslims, fear of Western culture, and apparently trying to be funny, images of the piglet. Um, so the tendency then was to really minimize the problem, say Muslims were not capable of making fun of themselves, uh, and the whole issue of freedom of speech, which was there at the beginning, rapidly became an issue of defending our values of freedom of speech against their lack of capacity to value free speech. Some cartoons uh, started to bring up the issue then of values and the threat to European values through all the dirt that would be brought into Europe through immigration. So there you see image of, you know, there's a Muslim with a, with a rifle, so that's the terrorist or the, or the jihadist, uh, the veiled woman, and together with them rats, so all that's filthy and dirty coming in through open, free European borders. Of course, that's a very blunt, crude uh, image, not at all subtle. Uh, which, uh, even before this image, and based still on the Danish cartoons, led Gunther Grass to, the, the author, the late author, to um, 
compare those cartoons to the Nazi publication, Der Stormer. Uh, and here you see in the Der Stormer an image, one of the so many images that this newspaper published for so long during Nazi Germany. And what is, uh, you can see that he's an immigrant, a poor, wandering person, uh, almost the image of the wandering Jew. And the wording there says, this is how he came to Germany. They, lo they looked like this when they came to Germany from the East, but things soon changed. They stuck their crooked noses into everything, they took over everything, and before long, they were in charge. Their goal is to establish Jewish world domination. Now, we also see this uh, thing about, you know, there's uh, Kulbeck's uh, romance, you know, his book, talking about how Muslims are penetrating into France and taking over the whole of France through academy, through mosques that are built here and there, through influencing the people, perverting the, the values. And the whole thing really, the debate really is, it turns around uh, uh, the, the, the issue of values, just as it did with this case of the Der Stormer. Here is the long, again, a Der Stormer uh, cartoon or image. Uh, it's the long arm of the German Ministry of Culture pulling the teacher out of the classroom so that he wouldn't continue perverting the values of the young good German children. Uh, another image there shows, uh, it says uh, something like, um, where, where, where the Jews uh, rule, freedom is just an illusion. Maybe someone can read it properly, but that's, that's basically what it says. Uh, now, there are, and, and it's not me who's saying that, it's you know, Gunther Grass and, and many other people, so there, there are similarities. And there's also this notion among several authors that while Islamophobia is on the rise, anti-Semitism is declining, I think it's you know, a lot more than that. I think there are two tendencies that run together. They did in the Nazi period. There was Islamophobia in the Nazi period, although that was not an issue because the issue was anti-Semitism. But if you remember, the, if anyone is acquainted to the book uh, uh, What is Left of Auschwitz, uh, um, uh, there, he, uh, the, the, the author does um, actually uh, refer to the, how in the, uh, Auschwitz the term Muslim was used to refer to those terminal sick because they could not even stand up properly. They looked like Muslims praying. So all these, this was together then, and it continues now. Anti-Semitism is not over. There is the rise of a new type of anti-Semitism today, which maybe we could talk about later. If it, if it is an issue, but old anti-Semitism still continues. Those people, the, the shooting in the United States in the in the in the synagogue. Why? Because they related the, the shooter related, uh, um, you know, Jews also to immigration and to the financing of immigration. So he gave uh, a whole very typical uh, of, of his uh, anti-Semitism. So we're not actually facing a repetition of interwar. Uh, characteristics or of interwar fascism in Europe. That is not the case, although certain analogies can and should be made to understand the phenomenon. And also an important difference, we're not in the imminence of a mass murder of Muslims in Europe. That's really not the case. Now, certainly Islamophobia is being used and it is repeated in so many of the radical right rhetoric uh, um, and used for their uh, articulation for the articulation of their narrative. Now, what narrative is this actually? It's one that divides the people between good and bad. And these radical right groups, they all have in common the fact that they do this. And among the good people, then, they stick in nationalist, anti feminist, homophobic, the discourse against ecology, against modern art, uh, against intellectuals. 
And among the bad feminist veiled women, uh, it's, it's funny how they put two things together, the feminist and the veiled women, which should, you know, in their minds be opposite, although it's not. Uh, immigrants, uh, junkies, and there are so many examples we can give of how they, how they do this. I mean, in Brazil, unfortunately, we have enormous examples of all this today. Uh, and then all the liberal, anti-racist, anti-racist human rights defenders. And we are seeing this phenomenon all over the world, the rise of the radical right uh, wing movements, parties, governments. So in Austria, Belgium, Denmark, Finland, Poland, Hungary, Slovakia, we all have coalitions, parties, radical right wing parties leading these coalitions. Then in France, the rise of the National Front since 2002, actually inserting the vocabulary of the radical right into non-radical right governments, which were, you know, which took on this imagery, this vocabulary, because it helped them win elections. So it's not only those places where the radical right is governing, governing, but where they are influencing the discourse and the politics of other groups. Italy, the Lega North, Germany, the rise of the alternative for Deutschland um, that made many seats in, in, in the Bundestag uh, in the last elections, and then well, Trump, uh, Putin, Erdogan, Bolsonaro, which has 34 to 30. 33 to 34% approval rate, which is a very high approval rate still after five months of government, six months of government. Uh, three minutes, okay, I'm wrapping up. Uh, and then there are those organizations, which I'd like to know that they do refer to fascism and they do call themselves neo-fascist or you know, openly refer to them. Uh, I think that's one thing to be noted. And then there's also, as part of the problem, the rise of a different type of, let's say, radical Islam. Uh, some people, uh, I don't like the term, call it political Islam. I'll also later explain why I don't like the term. Or even worse, Islamic terrorism. It's you know, one of the most politically charged terms on earth, terrorism, you know, like, like genocide and like other terms. It's very, uh, it doesn't mean much. You have to define it. Uh, but, Probably these two groups, especially, but many others, they can be, uh, in a way, characterized as, uh, as a type of Islamic fascism. Because, you know, well, it's a new phenomenon uh, inside this tendency. It's a reaction to the Arab fourth wave of democratization, the Arab revolutions. And they do bring uh, the, the, the many, many techniques of domination of, domination of societies, of uh, terror inside these societies, of uh, oppression in a, in a very uh, fascist manner. Now, some authors will say, okay, well, instead of speaking of, uh, I don't know, we have to find a term, why not speak of post-fascism to be able to uh, indicate the continuity with fascism, but the fascism with the difference with what happened during the interwar period, you know, Nazism, uh, Franco, or, or Mussolini. Uh, in fact, we are speaking today of a different phenomenon, I believe, and one which has not yet been defined. That is the big problem. What are we uh, talking about? And none of the terms that are there really help or really are able to um, define the whole, the whole problem. Islamophobia is certainly part of this big problem. It's one aspect in the discourse of these groups, and it impacts on the lives of so many people, of millions of people. I do believe, and then here you can criticize me afterwards, and I will not take it personally, but I do believe that uh, we can say that uh, 
we can speak about the cultural trauma of being Muslim today in European countries, but not only in European countries. And by saying that, I mean that every Muslim person potentially, potentially, sorry, not, you know, maybe, maybe not actually, but he potentially embodies today the collective cultural trauma of being Muslim. It's a cultural trauma that is the product of two centuries of colonialism, orientalism, domination, war, dehumanization by others, that is by European powers, and oppression by their own corrupt, authoritarian, and frequently subservient and colonized political leaders. So I'd just like to finish on another note um, with this image of uh, the cartoonist paradise. No? Because as you all know, uh, there was the abhorrent criminal massacre of the uh, Charlie Hebdo editorial board, practically, um, based on, on, the, on, the, on the, this controversy, because of this controversy. And so this cartoon shows uh, those cartoonists you know, reaching paradise, and then they meet there, Najee Al-Ali. And they say, well, you were here first? And he answers, oh, yes, but the whole world was silent when the Mossad killed me. And Najee Alali was the, a Palestinian cartoonist. He was the creator of the Alhamdulillah, which is the symbol of Palestinian resistance. You know, it's the cactus that no one can erase, that no one can eliminate. He's always there. He insists on being there. And he says, Je suis Ali. Why is he saying, Je suis Ali? Because the sentence that was chanted over and over after the, the cartoon uh, affair, you know, the, the, the Charlie Hebdo, Je suis Charlie. Although many would see it as a sign of solidarity and a justified solidarity to those cartoonists, for Muslims in France and worldwide, actually, they felt it as a, as a sentence that said, okay, if you want to be accepted as French, you should abandon your Muslim particular specific faith and values. No? And just to remember, because I cannot, and, and that one minute to 30, uh, not only Najee uh, uh, Alani was there out, was out there defending freedom of speech, of speech and, and, and using cartoons and art to make his point, but Samir Kassir, the author of this book, he was a historian and journalist killed by, probably by the Syrian regime, wrote a book, Considerations About the Arab Disgrace. Jamal Khashoggi, well, you know the case, killed by Saudi Arabia in, 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 in Istanbul. Ghassan Kanafani, killed by the Mossad in 72. He was an artist. Um, Ali Fazat, um, he was not killed, but he had a, a Syrian cartoonist. He had his fingers crushed by the Syrian regime. Juliano Merhamis, he was a, a young Palestinian who, who directed, coordinated a theater in Jenin, theater that had been founded by his mother, who was a Jew, and his father was Palestinian, so he was killed by two radical Muslims who couldn't, uh, couldn't stand to see his, his theater working in Geneva. Okay, thank you.